I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, says St. Paul, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. From St. Paul to another author, dealing with this text, the end of all true religion is practice. And the perfection of practice is a habit of mind suited to the relations which we bear to God and man and to the circumstance in, circumstances in which from time to time we are placed. It is not by external acts only that we are to serve God. The passive virtues of meekness and patience and long-suffering and forbearance are quite as pleasing in his sight as the most active virtues in which we can be engaged. Hence, St. Paul, in entering on the practical part of this epistle, entreats the Ephesian converts to pay particular attention to these graces and to consider them as the clearest evidences of their sincerity and the brightest ornaments of their profession. Do we think like this? The 19th century priest Charles Simeon, whose words those are, thought that we should be considering those quiet graces or virtues. To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called in his mind meant engaging in the passive virtues of meekness and patience, long-suffering and forbearance, as well as the active virtues of charity and service and so on. This meekness, patience, and long-suffering, etc., is closely linked to the virtue of humility, which is always a virtue to pursue when fighting against pride, which is the sin that is being dealt with in that um, uh, threefold cycle of purgation, illumination, and union with Christ um, with the seven Sundays of the seven deadly sins. So today is the day of pride. And the virtue to fight it is humility. And those graces and virtues which St. Paul is talking about are very closely linked to uh, exhibiting humility. The end of all true religion, not pagan religion, but true religion, says Simeon, is practice. And the perfection of practice is a habit of mind suited to the relations which we bear to God and man. So we must pursue God the Father through the way made for us through the ongoing ministry of Christ on our behalf in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this pursuit, we are to have a habit of mind that is suited to the relationship we have with God and our relationship to our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. And of course, as he continues, we will interact in those relationships in various contexts, some easy, some hard, some happy, some sad, some simple, some complex. Simeon then says that the apostle is exhorting the Ephesians to pay particular attention to these graces so strongly connected with a humble life and to consider them as the clearest 
evidences of their sincerity and the brightest ornaments of their profession. He doesn't say that when you go serve the poor, when you are kind to your neighbor, when you reach out to the the person who's struggling. He's not saying those are bad things, but he's not emphasizing those. He's emphasizing meekness, patience, forbearance. Yes, and I know those, those are often very interactive, and he means that. But they're, they're graces that you wear as an ornament. And it's a different way of looking at how we interact and live our lives, right? So the, uh, the emphasis here is on these passive virtues, which we need to inculcate, particularly those of us that are very talkative and active and you know, we're always out there doing things. Right? I mean, you got the, the meekness, the patience. I mean, I'm probably the most patient father that my children have ever known as a father. Uh, but that's about as far as it goes. So Simeon really takes these graces seriously, these virtues, that they might be the brightest ornaments of your profession of faith. You should be a Christmas tree all lit up with these graces. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. forget it. Forget that. Um, We should be seeing evidence of our walk with God. Bright, shining evidences that look like humility, patience with our brothers, willingness to suffer with them in their trials, a kindness that extends itself from us to others, as people bump into us. This is the stuff that St. Paul is saying is important. This means that you consider others as more important than yourself at all times. St. John Chrysostom says, not only in words or only in actions, but even in one's very bearing, one's tone of voice. Not lowly towards one and rude towards another. Be lowly towards all men to, uh, to, to friend or foe, or be he friend or foe, be he great or small. This is lowliness. Even in thy good deeds be lowly, for hear what Christ saith, blessed are the poor in spirit. Following St. Paul's admonition, means that when someone is trying your patience, you ask for more grace, not that they might leave you alone. Yes, I know the temptation. We've all prayed it. Please, God, when will this stop? Well, pray for more grace, more patience, more humility. Pray that you might be gentle and loving and kind. Living this kind of life means that when a friend is having a rough time, you go through that rough time with them. No, you can't impersonate your friend and walk the road that he must walk. He must move forward, but you can walk beside him, loving him and upholding him and encouraging him in his trial. One commentator says, it is from such qualities in God that our redemption has come. It is miserable to accept the redemption and not try to attain and exhibit its true spirit, the spirit of Christ. Neglect of this verse of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians has produced untold evil in the Christian church, says that commentator. 
The Apostle ends his practical instruction in this sentence by telling the Ephesians that in this way they are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Over the years I've spent a lot of time with a lot of people who have been using the same prayer book and teaching the same theology for 40 to 50, even 60 years, some of them. In the Anglican world, we have a lot of jurisdictions that are distinct from one another only in the fact that they have drawn lines. I've, since I've been an Anglican, periodically, one of the you know, lesser parts of it, one of the less encouraging parts, is you look around and go, well, why are they different than them? Why will this bishop not allow his deacon to come and serve in this church on a Sunday? And there's a lot of silliness out there. There's, um, well, one of my bishops said, there's nothing wrong with Anglicanism that a number of funerals couldn't solve. <laughs> um, so much of this distinction, much of this separation has been personalities and, and, and kind of stupid politics and power can, and control. Well, I like my little pond and I'm the biggest frog here and we're not going to change a thing. As much as I love this tradition, it doesn't mean that it's perfect and it definitely doesn't mean that late, middle to late 20th century Anglicanism uh, has been perfect in any way. Four of these groups of Anglicans about five years ago or so, give or take a year, got together and pursued unity. Great. These disparate Christian jurisdictions, Anglicans in fact, were by definition in unity of the Spirit as the whole of the flock of Christ of whatever denomination is at unity because of the Holy Ghost working in us. Yet St. Paul's words were endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace, which sounds a lot like a command, a direction. In other words, this is something we are called to do, to work at, uh, to seek, and to affect. And that's where, despite our unity in the Spirit with all the, the Christians of the world, we have pulled up walls. The first major walls came in the early church, but those eventually disappeared. And then the next major wall that has still stands today is... Um, the wall of uh, uh, schism. Um, oh, now I'm forgetting my dates. Eleventh uh, century, right in there. Twelfth century, eleventh, right. And that was the distinction between the east and the west of the church. And it didn't just. I mean, yes, we have some anathemas fired at each other from east and west. But honestly, most of the church didn't even know what was going on, and lots of East and West still you know, were talking to one another, and then eventually it solidified into a pretty hard wall. Um, the next major breach in, was in the West, and it was the Reformation. And you had the protesting Catholics and the non-protesting Catholics. Um, it's really funny. Emma at a, a, an Orthodox school, she's like, uh, and, and Lindy also, they're like, we're really tired of being called Protestants, particularly when me and my Roman Catholic friend are walking down the street and an Orthodox calls us Protestants. I'm like, first of all, Protestant is a word that comes out of the West, out of a particular thing, and 
you, you can't really call a Roman Catholic a Protestant. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And English Catholics are also not Protestants in the way that that word has been used for the last 150 years. So it's, it's, a, um, it's a strange world of labels that we have these days. Um, but there's all these walls up. And now, you know, Anglicans have been throwing up walls for 50 years. I get the reasons. I understand how it's worked. And I'm so thankful that these jurisdictions have made effort to change um, that disunity in their actual efforts, in their day-to-day stuff. Um, I believe that these churches um, have taught, and they're very concerned with the front end of our epistle lesson, with the passive virtues being lived out constantly in the life of the Christian. This, I maintain, should be the concern of all of us. The Christian church would be a much nicer place to live in if we all sought to discipline ourselves in these virtues with a true habit of mind, right? Patience, forbearance, uh, love. True unity, of course, comes from God as we understand that we are at one with all those baptized into Christ's church. Whether we think that way or not, the reality is we are. We must, however, actually work and strive to break down barriers between Christians and to emphasize the truth that we all possess in common and de-emphasize the difference that are not of paramount importance. Now, as a caveat, let me say that there are Christians that see certain things of not very important value. And, and lots of Christians around here do not see the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ or the sacrament of baptism of paramount value. We as English Catholics do see holy baptism and holy communion of really high value, maybe not to the level of the, human, the dual nature of Christ, but past Christology and Trinitarian doctrines, next really comes the, the, the two dominical sacraments and then a sacramental worldview. So I get into all sorts of inter- interesting discussions where I'm trying to be very polite and, try, and I'll say, so you don't see this in the same way that we see this, so there's a difference of opinion. And that's fine, but you need to understand that we see this issue that you see is very low on the ladder of importance as of really big importance. So I don't want to offend you, but the reason I'm going to stand really hard on this is because we see it as a different value. And that kind of communication can go, doesn't always go, can go a long ways in um, producing peace. Uh, and, and, and an ironic disposition will go a long ways as well. Um, And sometimes I don't have as ironic a disposition as I should. So I'll encourage all of us to be much more peaceful. Um, I'm glad to report that um, those four churches I mentioned um, five years ago actually did strive and work. And it took them over a year, maybe two, to make that moment happen when they all signed a concordat and they were all in agreement with one another. Um, Excuse me. They are endeavoring to maintain that unity. Please pray for them because that's not going to be easy. Because at some point you have to divide up 
And so you've got four churches that have four sets of dioceses. So as you lose bishops, you don't replace them. You say, okay, this bishop's going to have all the churches in this geographic area. That's hard, right? And they're going to have a hard time with it. Just because I think it's hard, not because they're not capable. So uh, pray for them. Um, and pray for more of the same. At jurisdictional levels, at regional levels, at local parish levels, and between individual Christians of different stripes. May our lives show the grace and virtue of Christ Jesus so that we may contribute to the breaking down of barriers within his church. For there is but one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen.